Welcome back to Talking Stocks, everybody. It's been a couple of weeks, and boy, has it ever. Um, it's been pretty insane. We're definitely going to take a lot of time during this episode to talk about uh, GameStop or Game Stonks, if you prefer now, and the the fallout uh, of that. So, Todd, good to see you again. Glad your uh, glad your little your little operation went well, and good to see that you're back at it. Yeah, I had uh, cataract surgery, and um, you know, it's I, I think it's coming along. I, every day, I, my vision gets a little bit better. So good, good. I appreciate that. And uh, I noticed today, Joe, we could call it the haircut episode, right? You got your, you got a new haircut. I, I, I got shaved a new off cut. the beard. Todd shaved his beard. We're looking clean and crisp because you know it's it's spring semester at UNH. We're back at it this week, so uh, gotta right. look our best. That's right. What a crazy, what a crazy week. I mean, oh I, of all the of all the weeks to schedule a surgery that gets me out for like a couple days where I can't see what's going on. And you, you know, what do you mean GameStop is $460 a share? What? Oh yeah, just insanity. I was so disappointed that we couldn't record last week because I I could have I could have just ranted and ranted for an hour. But frankly, viewers and listeners, you probably wouldn't have wanted to listen to that. Um but yeah, let's let's talk about it. So as we're recording this, it's one o'clock on Wednesday. I've got the ticker up here. Uh, GameStop is sitting at a hundred dollars a share, uh, which is quite the change from where it was on Monday or last Monday or yeah, any previous Monday. <laughs> so let's talk about kind of kind of how we got here. I, I think there's there's so much to unpack here. But maybe it's best just to start with kind of walking people through a little bit of the history with GameStop. In case you're not familiar with GameStop, it is a retailer. Um, it sells video games and consoles and, you know, little figurines of your favorite, you know, anime or whatever. I mean, it's just a little, st little store, but they got thousands of them. And um, they were very successful for quite a while because people needed to go to them to be able to get the discs for the games and bring them home and load them onto their, onto their consoles so that they could play them. However, the industry has been changing and shifting itself away from those physical discs to a digital-only model. So you've got companies like Activision and Take-Two and Electronic Arts and you know, Microsoft's gaming side. And instead of taking on all those costs to be able to produce a physical disc and distribute and inventory and all that wonderful stuff. They're just going straight to the consumer now and allowing you to buy it right off of platforms, um, which makes more sense. I mean, it's an easier Absolutely. consumer experience, right, Joe? Yeah, I built a I built a gaming PC last year and it does not have a disc drive in it. So if that if that tells you anything about about the industry and where GameStop really should be as a company right now, uh, what I mean is down in the dumps because. To me, they almost seem like the the blockbuster of video games, um, and they have they have yet to they have yet to pivot into a more uh, digital platform. And that's pretty much the the biggest. I think that's the best analog is to say, okay, GameStop is blockbuster being disrupted by Netflix. You know, yeah. an online digital streaming uh, entertainment. You know. Um, for your television. And this is the same thing for gaming and it's being disrupted. So you have this company that everybody and their brother is looking at it the same way you just outlined, Joe, saying, okay, well, this is a dying business. You know, who goes to malls anymore? Who, right. who for one, 
who you don't need to have physical discs for for your games. GameStop for a while was doing pretty well by buying used games and reselling them. But as people retire their old consoles with their disk drives for these other consoles, it becomes less and less relevant. So a lot of people were looking at it kind of almost like a dead man walking scenario. And as a result, when you know the track the trade, the bet against GameStop got in incredibly crowded. You had everybody believing that this company is going to go underwater. So of course, everybody was betting with their money on it going underwater. So then you ended up with a very high short interest. And again, short interest simply reflects the, the number of days of average volume it takes to cover the short position. In shorts, Joe, just to back up a little bit, is you're borrowing shares from somebody, selling them in the marketplace, hoping to buy them at a lower price later and pocket the difference, right? So that's short selling in a nutshell. So you had all of these hedge funds, big, bad, evil hedge funds. We can get into that too if you yeah. want at some point. Um, um, they were betting against GameStop, betting on its failure. They crowded that trade. And because of arcane systems, not keeping up with modern day technology and synthetic um, shorting and use of puts and all sorts of other stuff, you ended up with a scenario where a hundred and I want to say it was like one hundred thirty-seven percent, nearly one hundred and forty percent of the shares that were outstanding were sold short, which seems stupid. I mean, how can you? Sh- right, right. When I when I first saw that, I actually thought that it was like I I thought that it was just a computational error. I'm, I I saw that number and I was like, what the hell? That can't be. And, and then I started thinking, as I realized it wasn't an error, I was thinking to myself, is that legal? So is that legal, Todd? Because I think a lot of people don't really understand like how shorting works, myself included, frankly. It's mind-boggling to me. And to I a think lot it's of insane. I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily illegal. Um, I mean, obviously, they, it was allowed to happen. Um, I think that that is a failure of the system, and if that, that system yeah. will get fixed. Hopefully. I, don't, I don't know necessarily whether that's, I don't know that, but it is one of those, I want to call it a kind of a unicorn scenario, you know, sure. a unicorn scenario where you have this, this company everybody's betting against, you have this failure of the system to manage the number of shares that you could short. You have a, a scenario where you've got the stock going up with over a hundred percent short. And then you have something that's very important, Joe. I, you know, we've talked in episode five, we talked about um, our model for picking yep. stocks and the different factors that go into the model. One of those factors is short interest, which again, number of days of average volume it would take to cover a short position. And the reason that that's included within that model is that when you used alongside other things like EPS growth, EPS beats, price volume trends, insider buying activity, seasonality, when used com- combined with those things, it can help provide a tailwind that helps lift the stock and sends it higher, right? On its own, short interest really doesn't tell you a lot. And it's actually a very messy, sloppy indicator. And, you know, in my experience, just buying something because it has a high short interest is is not as prudent way to go out and try and find winning stocks. What needs to happen is there needs to be like a, like this, this intersection of things that happen at the exact right moment in time. And in the case of GameStop, you had Chewy, which we've talked about on the show before. Chewy yes. is an online e-commerce pet store. The, one of the founders sold Chewy for a few billion a few years ago. He runs a very concentrated portfolio of, I think, two stocks up until last August. 
when it was disclosed that he was accumulating a relatively large position in GameStop. GameStop. <laughs> so you have this e-commerce titan, if you will, poster child titan, a person who's disrupting an industry, all of a sudden finding value in GameStonk, right? <laughs> and people saying, wait a minute, is there something that he sees that we don't see? Is there some something on the other end that makes this company actually more valuable and, and it won't end up going, you know, the way of dinosaurs? Answer, no. <laughs> we, can debate, we can debate that a little bit. I'm going to take the other side of the trade on that later on in the show, I think. Um, All right. On that. Um, but I think that, you know, you have the scenario now where you have an event. You have an event, a catalyst, right? So fast forward a little bit further and there's, maybe you could explain, I don't know if you've been to the Reddit Wall Street Bet site, but it's Absolutely. a very active community of very engaged, we'll call them smaller, but some of them are sophisticated. I'm getting a lot of newer investors, but there are some people, obviously, if you read through the threads, there are people who know what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, this collection on Reddit of investors um, talking about stocks they're interested in. Yeah. From, I don't know exactly where that uh, community sits as far as subscribers go but I know that it has increased nearly tenfold in the past month. I'm going to try to pull it up right now. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's a really interesting, almost a grassroots movement that we have going on right now with this Reddit community of, um, obviously Reddit is, if you know it, is primarily younger people using it. Uh, and these, it kind of started, it was like, it was like a sarcastic investing community and people would post memes and screenshots of the stupid trades that they were making, you know, all this stuff about like buying Tesla or Tesla calls for $420 and 69 cents or something like that. Just all sorts of stupid stuff like that. And there were people on there who were clearly making a ton of money. One of the most popular posts that you'll see on there is a screenshot of somebody's gain in their Robinhood portfolio on crazy options like AMC theaters or obviously GameStop. And so the GameStop has been on, on Wall Street Bets on the front page for a long time now, probably since last fall off and on. And you can see that corresponding with the price uh, starting, to, starting to get into like double digits back in the fall. And it, the, really the momentum just started building and building and building. And there's a lot of skepticism as to how it started building. How did Wall Street Bets gain so many subscribers in such a short period of time? Uh, the community, by the way, is now private. Um, so if you're, if you're a member, if you joined it before, it's like a, it's like a Facebook group for those who are unfamiliar with Reddit. So if you joined it before, you still have access to it. If you haven't joined already, and if you don't have a Reddit account, you can't view it. So it's become a bit of an exclusive club almost of these crazy investors who have made insane amounts of money and then have proceeded to lose quite a lot of money in the past week, right, Todd? Yeah, so I mean, it, you had this, this 
like I was talking about the conflict, you had the 140% short, then you also had Ryan Cohen from Chewy coming in and taking uh, stock, you had some interest coming in. It actually went to a buy in our research in August, amazingly. And I remember posting on Twitter, I was like, I remember sometimes that. our scores do weird things and it always makes me go, huh, it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. <laughs> oh, what prescient words, right? I, I wish I had understood exactly what I was seeing last August because, you know, it would have been a 58%, 5,800% return <laughs> if I had just listened to the score and, and bought the stocks. But, you know, you started to see it trickle up and up and up. And as some people were, were starting to become aware of the situation, come and figure out, hmm, maybe there's a way on the other end of this for, for it that we don't know. And then there was uh, Chairman Palapatia, who, who is a great follow on Twitter. He actually shared, I think it was, I don't know if it was Deep Fucking Value or some, one of these other <laughs> uh, Reddit posters on there, posted a really nice one or two pager explaining the thesis of why um, you might want to go out and get involved. I, re I remember reading that a long time ago and thinking that the guy was completely crazy. But it was very well researched, and it was it was clear that the that the guy was he was making a very compelling point, and that's the that's the thing about Wall Street bets is that like half of it is is self proclaimed retards, and then the other half are people who actually are pretty intelligent, and maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they certainly know how the market works. I think a and lot they certainly of them figured out a way to expose a, a major flaw. You yeah. know, major flaw and take advantage of it. I mean, they, they united together. They said, let's charge up the hill. We'll buy a bunch of calls. We'll open up Robinhood accounts. We'll buy this thing. We'll start the snowball rolling down the hill. And we'll see whether or not we can force some of these shorts to have to cover. And that's what ends up happening in these interests. That's why short interest is part of our scoring model, right? As you start to get, you know, that momentum building up, it does force people to have to take in the risk and cover. And sure enough, Joe, we had this stock go from four or five dollars last August, right, to maybe like 20 bucks, and then to the moon when this all blew up and everybody started to have to cover. And this everybody was opening up Robinhood accounts, everybody's opening up just accounts, buying one share, buying 10 shares, buying 100 shares, buying calls, buying options, huge margin, doing all sorts of crazy, insane things. Non all, all the things we tell you not to do on this podcast. Exactly. All the non-prudent things to do when it comes to long-term uh, investing or you know, generating long-term wealth. And they shot this thing up to the moon. And you know, there were, then you had all these people say, hold the line, hold the line. We've got them, we got them, we got them. They're going to all have to cover. They're going to all have to cover. And then, Joe, the weirdest thing happens from the perspective of these people who are putting on the trades from Reddit, all of a sudden, they're told they can't buy shares in it anymore. Yeah, that was... You've got to talk about that. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I, so I don't... I, well, I shouldn't say that. I have a Robinhood account. Uh, but I haven't had any money in it for over two years now. Um, I've, I switched to a real brokerage firm and have used them ever since, um, with absolutely no regrets. This is why, <laughs> because Robinhood is so reckless with what they let their, their investors do their their account holders are it's a bunch of i mean obviously there are people who use Robinhood who are probably pretty well seasoned investors who have a a decently sized portfolio and it's well diversified and they manage it wisely and you know they're they're 
Yeah, but let's be real, Joe, better. right? It's mostly but it's, it's mostly, mostly newer investors. It's right? mostly 18-year-olds who don't know anything about the stock market. And they're letting these these 18-year-olds trade on margin and buy options that they don't understand. And as a result, they didn't have enough enough funds, they didn't have enough enough cash sitting around to cover all of these positions that yeah, I think, I think that, that most, most of our listeners probably didn't even give clearing houses a second thought clearing. They don't even know what that is. Like, what do you mean? Like publishers clearing? What is this? I don't yeah. even know what this is. <laughs> $1,000 a week for life. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I don't ever heard of clearing house. And I think what's really important, it was kind of a wake up call. There's so many lessons that got taught to investors over the course of the last week. And I think that's, listen, if you were on the other side of this, you ended up buying it late, you know, and the, the stock got up all the way to 460 and you ended up buying at 460 or 440 or 420 and you're seeing it 100 right now. I know, I get it. I get it, right? You know, you probably got a margin call. You probably either had to commit more money, you got forced to sell, take the loss. It hurts. We've all been there. This is a learning, these are learning experiences. I call it paying your tuition. And, you know, better to do it if you're a younger investor, better to, to learn those lessons now so that you're a, you don't make those mistakes later on. So, but that being said, Robinhood has basically just had a brilliant idea. Like the democratization of investing is a brilliant idea. And they've make done a so great job up to invest. this point. They've done a fantastic job up to this point. Uh, you know, opinions, opinions aside about what they let their account holders do, They've done, they've done a great job. They've gotten all sorts of people really enthusiastic about investing. Look at Wall Street Bets as a community. Myself, how did I start? I opened an account on Robinhood because they were the only, they were the only guys who would let me put in a hundred bucks to start when I was when I, on my 18th birthday. So kudos to them. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great, but, but again, to your point, right? Sounds great on paper. We'll let people open accounts with no minimums. We'll give people margin. We'll, you know, uh, we'll let people trade options. We'll do all of these things. Uh, sounds great on paper until you have that black swan kind of multiple sigma event. Yeah, they, they, they're definitely the main catalyst behind this retail investing revolution that we've seen in the past, I guess, five to six years now. But I don't, it, it makes me wonder if they, if they committed suicide last week, you know, it's, I, it's I, harsh. You know, I, th I don't know. I think the, just like Uber made it back from its problems. I think that it can make it back from its, I, I think what it's enabling and what it's done. Uh, this is obviously growing pains and it's hard to tell from here. Um, but just to, be, but, but to back up for one second, Joe. So what ended up happening is that, so Robin Hood, and this may surprise a lot of investors when you buy or sell a share, on Robinhood or any other platform, it's not instantaneous settlement. It's not like I went to the store, I bought coffee, I handed $2 over, I got my coffee and that transaction is done. It's actually a two day process. Yep. So it's transaction plus two, T plus two is what you'll see people talk about. And it's up to the broker <clears throat> to manage the money to, have, to be, somebody has to pay, right? So here's what ended up happening. You have the clearinghouse, which is what does all the settlement, the T plus two. You have Robinhood allowing all these people to trade, right? Well, in order for the clearinghouse to be able to guarantee that it can match up the buyer to the seller from two days before, it needs to be pretty 
sure that there's cash coming in from somebody. Yeah. It's got to either come in from the people who did the transaction or it has to come in from the broker. And that's what ended up happening. You had the clearinghouse looking at all these trades. They were all going in one direction. You had a stock that went from 20 to 460. So when you start applying your volatility at risk metrics, you start taking a look and saying, okay, where could this stock trade over the course of the next two days? You're not talking about a normal stock where we would trade, oh, maybe it'll trade up or down 3%. No, you're saying this stock could trade up or down 50%. 80%. So you're going to have to give me a whole heck of a lot more money than normal so that I know in two days, I'm going to be able to set all these trades. So you essentially had Robinhood get a margin call from the clearinghouse. So the clearinghouse said, you need to put up 3 billion. Robinhood said, I don't have 3 billion. <laughs> so they said, what if we, what if we let you do 1.8 billion or something like that? It was some lower number. So Robinhood said, okay, I'm gonna draw down all my credit lines. I'm gonna reach out to my wealthy, deep-pocketed investors. We're gonna find this money because we're gonna stay solvent for our, cl our clients. But at the same time, if we're gonna stay solvent and we don't know where the stock is heading over the next couple of days, then we need to make sure that we're not gonna get another call in another day saying we need another $3 billion. Because at some point, we're not gonna be able to come up with that $3 billion. Our deep-pocketed investors will say, no, I'm not, throwing any more money at this, right? So they had to make what in hindsight is, an, is it, on the surface, it makes complete sense when I'm explaining it now, probably. But at the time, because of the way they talked about it to their investors, it seems so arbitrary. And they didn't, uh, they didn't fess up. They didn't say, hey, we have a liquidity crisis because they were probably because they were afraid they were afraid if it got out that there, there was a liquidity crisis, everybody would do a run on the bank and exactly. take off their money, right? So they, they were like, oh, we're all good. It's all good, but we got to, you know, just tap down the brake or whatever. And people interpreted that as being some sort of backdoor cabal, handshake deal, whatever, where, you know, Citadel, who pays for order flow through Robinhood, but it also may have short exposure, is telling Robinhood, don't let anybody else buy, and all sorts of conspiracy theories uh, raging raging because of it but ultimately what ended up happening is that the poor person who wanted to go out and maybe dollar cost average down or maybe wanted to buy it that next day or whatever was shut out of the market you could one way trade it you could sell it you couldn't buy it and that's just it was a disaster obviously it was a disaster from a marketing in a perception perspective but it was necessary in order to remain solvent right so so but what a crazy what a crazy story Crazy Absolutely story. amazing. And we were, we were talking before we hit record. I heard yesterday that they have already sold the movie rights to somebody for this. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to 2021, everybody. It's going to be a crazy year. So I want to sh shift gears slightly, still on the topic of GameStop. But I want to I pose the question, simply, where, where do we go from here? So there are two angles to this that I want to approach. Um, where does GameStop go from here as far as the stock, the stock price and the company? And where does Robinhood, Wall Street bets and retail investing go from here? So pick, pick which one you want to attack first, Todd. Well, I think that the big question on a lot of people's minds, if you got trapped in GameStop at 400 and, and let's say that you were, 
either you put in more money or maybe you didn't buy on margin, so you're still able to either, you're, you can hold it. So the question becomes, okay, do I want to hold it or should I just take the pain and sell it? And that's a very personal decision. You're going to have to look back at it. The problem is that many people bought into the stock not because they did the, the, did the due diligence said, yes, this is how Ryan Cohen can turn this company from a physical DVD company into a digital retailer, right? We still don't know what that path looks like, right? I think a, there are a group of people or subset of people who probably went out there and just bought it because it was going up. Everybody's getting rich. I'm going to get rich too. And went out and pressed the buy button. And that's, that's obviously, that's where you are today. Um, and in that situation, now you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to do hindsight, uh, retroactively come up with a catalyst or a thesis or a reason, which is very dangerous, right? Because then you justify the position. So whenever we teach our class how to talk stocks, we're always talking about, okay, you got to have a thesis. You got to write it down ahead of time. So you know when your thesis breaks that you got to get out. And you don't want to be rewriting your thesis, right? To justify staying in the stock, right? So the question then becomes, okay, now let's just assume, okay, I, I, just from a very top level, is GameStop, can GameStop survive? I think there's a possibility that it survives. I think there's a possibility it survives. That you have a very talented people now coming onto the board. You have a new CTO, Chief Technology Officer, just got hired from Amazon's AWS today. That was just announced. Um, and you've got obviously an ex exploding and growing industry that it's serving, theoretically, right? The transition to esports, e gaming, however, this is going to play out. If they can figure out a way to do this, then it, it's probably worth a market cap of something, right? Some sort of a market cap. The question then becomes and again, investors don't pay attention to the price. Who cares if it went from four to 20 to 480, okay? Focus on the market cap. The market cap is what matters. So price times shares, that's the value of the company, the market cap, all right? So focus on that. So you need to come up and decide whether or not you think the GameStop is worth its current market cap, right? Which I think is, looking at my screen, about 6.3 billion, I think is what the market cap is of, as of today. At the peak, it was like 24 billion. Do I think it was worth 24 billion? No. Do I think that there's a potential for it to be worth 6 billion someday? Possibly. Sure. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, if you look at gaming companies, you know, if you look at ATVI Activision, it's got a 72 billion market cap. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you could you could you could theoretically make that argument. You know? So I think that the you, but you need to, you need, it needs to be intelligently done. And you need to realize that from every dollar from here, there's someone above you who is like, thank God, get me out, press the sell button. And we call that overhead supply. So when you have stocks that rally up huge like this, and then they fall. Now, every time that that stock rallies, you're going to unlock people who want to get the heck out. So it is going to be, it's going to be a tough tough ride from here um and it's still gonna you're still gonna have tons of volatility uh, i'm not touching it i talked about it being high in our score uh in august that was the time to buy it august through december it's neutral in our score now because it's just it's just not one of the best stocks to go out and buy right now so i think that if for new money you just basically say to yourself i'm gonna let this all settle out 
and see what Ryan Cohen does and focus elsewhere until, you know, I, I at least bases out and digest some of these people. Um, and then if you're in it, then you need to go back and you need to, like I said, you got to retroactively come up with your thesis and see just how much you believe in that thesis versus something else you can buy. Because remember, it's not just holding GameStop, hoping it for recover. It's holding GameStop, hoping it for recover. And there isn't a better idea that you can buy right now. You know what I mean? It's right. the opportunity cost of sitting in GameStop as well. We will get to some better ideas in a few minutes. But first, I want to wrap this up by just talking about the future of, of retail investing. So what happens to Robinhood? What happens to Wall Street Bets? Is Wall Street Bets the grassroots hedge fund now that I, that I hinted at before? I think it's just the thing to do, sure. It'll get replaced by something on Clubhouse or it'll get replaced by some sort of Twitter grouping that we don't even know about yet. Some sort of other, other collective will come together. I think what it does show you is that there's a tremendous un underserved interest in stocks in investing. And that there, is, there are literally millions of people who want to invest. And Robinhood and SoFi and some of these other, you know, uh, small brokers that are enabling, that's wonderful, right? And from here on out, they're gonna, those lessons are learned, right? So now from this day forward, they have systems in place, they can start to model for the risks, they can start to better serve their customers. And I think that's the path forward. I think that the, big, the biggest risk would have been is if GameStop covering caught, and we saw this, Joe. Remember, hedge funds were largely short GameStop, right? They're hedge funds, which means if they cover, they have to sell along to offset the short they just covered, right? So you, that's why you saw Apple sell off. You saw all these other stocks, big cap stocks sell off last week because they, they had to keep balancing. I mean, unintended consequences, right? Right. And then you also have to remember that, you know, you think it's of a big bad bed hedge fund, right? And it's all just like Stephen Cohen's money. <laughs> well, the reality is most hedge fund money is endowments, pension funds, right? It's, it's, it's insurance companies, right? It's companies that model risk to be able to stay in business. And they invest in these, in the hedge funds because it's hedging their risk. Now, all of a sudden, they're all going back to the drawing board and saying, we're not as, uh, we're not, our risk isn't as controlled as we thought. So my fear at the time, and I think that as we get, if the market stays strong, I don't think it's as big of a deal, but my fear was if that leads to redemption letters, that could be the tipping point that causes to go into a distribution, market distribution, 10% correction, whatever. Um, because if those insurers come and say, shoot first, ask questions later, I want my cash, I'll redeploy it after I redo my modeling for my risk. Um, if that had happened, then I think that that could, have, that could be a big problem. Um, so we'll have to see how this plays out over the course of the next few weeks. The alternatives suck, Joe. So if you're an insurer, what are you going to do? You're going to go buy treasuries? You get, <laughs> you, the returns, are they, there's no returns. So you can't buy cash. You can't hold it in cash and earn a return on that money for the carry. So, I mean, there's a lot of complex stuff I just threw out there, but I mean, the reality is that, that I think that to go back to your original question, I think there is a title shift. There's tons of people who are interested in investing. My class, How to Talk Stocks, is oversubscribed every single semester that I teach it. It's, it there's so much appetite 
And I think for the companies now, the job is to better serve that app, those consumers, to better serve them. And, and that's what they need to be focused on. If they do that, then I think everybody can win. I agree. So I think now we've wrapped that up, tied that up pretty nicely. So I think it's probably smattering time. So I want to do things a little bit differently this week. I've seen a question uh, going around on Twitter, on FinTwit, about uh, five stocks or a few stocks. We'll, we'll leave it at a few, leave it open-ended. Uh, if you could only own X amount of stocks for the next 10 years, what would they be? So Todd, if you could own five stocks or however many stocks you want to give us for the next 10 years, what would they be? All right, so um, every week we put out a large cap best and worst stocks, mid cap best and worst stocks, small cap best and worst stocks report for our members and our service, Limelight Alpha, Seeking Alpha, free trial in the link below. Um, what I did is I went through the current list of best and worst reports looking for stocks where I could make the argument that the market tailwinds are so big the total addressable market is so big, the optionality that exists for the company is so big that these are stocks that theoretically you could buy now because the research is saying this is a time to, to, be, to, to be buying them uh, and then just sit on them for the next 10 years. Now, we've talked on the show before, usually I categorize my buys into rentals or forever stocks. Rentals meaning they're short-term oriented, they're catalyst driven, whatever. I don't plan on holding them for a very long time. When I say forever stock, and when I'm talking about the stocks now for the next 10 years, I'm not saying necessarily hold them for 10 years, right? This is all subject to change, right? It's all data dependent. And like any good researcher, you're doing your due diligence, you've got your thesis, and if your thesis breaks, you're getting the heck out. But that being said, a uh, few stocks I wanted to pull up from the research this week that I think have long haul opportunity. The first two, Workday, right? And Workday provides um, what well, basically helps human resource departments and finance um, departments onboard people, um, helps with onboarding, helps with digitizing basically those relationships so that you think of it like a modern day paychecks or modern day ADP if whatever, but it's the software um, that's used to kind of manage all of those relationships. If you believe that employment is going higher, not lower over the course of the next uh, 10 years, and if you believe that paper is going to be replaced by digital, then I think that you could see Workday continue to grow uh, over the course of the next 10 years. So Workday is a stock I would be looking to get involved in. Similar space, ServiceNow. ServiceNow is another company that's growing. It's been growing rapidly over the course of the last decade, uh, you know, 10 years or so. I mean, it lost money back in 2014 and then it turned the corner in 15, 40 cents, 70 cents, $1.35, 249, 332, 463, 547, 705 projected in 2022. And again, this is a company that sells software that companies use to better allow their you know, employees to work better. So it's it's on it's in it's this back office. It's in the cloud, but it allows your, your employees to work together, to collaborate, to manage their relationship with the employee. So again, <clears throat> if you think that more and more companies are going to go to uh, a digital solution for managing employees, um, then you would want to be involved in Workday and now. 
The third stock I wanted to pull up is Taiwan Semiconductor. The electrification of everything, Joe, is one of the biggest, I think, <clears throat> things that is happening over the course of the next decade. And part of that electrification of everything means the demand for semiconductors is gonna go through the roof. So Taiwan Semiconductor produces, manufactures semiconductors. I think that they're gonna have tailwinds that could last a decade or more. And we love semiconductors on Talking Stocks. We do, we've talked a lot about them <clears throat> since last fall, excuse me. Um, Kaijin, uh, different space, develops technologies for the isolation purification of DNA and RNA proteins. We've talked about genomics in the past on the show, uh, about different stocks. People who follow me on Twitter know that I happen to be a fan of the genomics plays. I think a basket of them makes sense. Um, I think this is one company you might wanna throw into a portfolio and let it sit for a decade. Because I do believe that personalized medicine, medicine, um, research, um, everything, is going to have more and more to do with your DNA and RNA. And if so, if I'm right, then demand for, for Kaijin's products is going to continue to climb. And I'm sure I just butchered their name. Symbol there is Q-G-E-N, <laughs> right? So you've got a company that's earned $1.04 in 2014, $1.27 in 2017, $1.43 in 2019, and in 2021, expect to earn $2.45. And it's growing its top line 26% year over year to $483 million in the most recent quarter. So that's a stock you could also throw in the mix. I also think, just to go back to our original uh, conversation about, you know, Robin Hood and, and kind of like this, this new wave of investors, if we believe that more and more people are going to invest and be buying stock, um, volatility will probably remain an issue over time. Um, upside volatility is not a bad thing. Um, if so, then a company like Virtu Financial could have long haul 10 year plus tailwinds as well. Virtu is, they provide a lot of the kind of back office information that's used by trading desks and those people who are involved in buying and selling of stocks. You got a company that grew 72% year over year to 656 million last quarter, uh, expected to earn $5.39 in 2020. So, you know, this is a little bit more of a risky play, but if you believe that, you know, we've democratizing investing, um, that may be a stock that you want to tuck in there for the next 10 years as well. And then finally, I would probably say a name like Activision, ATVI. Um, we'll wrap it up with that one. You know, I really do think that electronic gaming, esports, there's a lot of optionality we don't fully understand that could occur with this marketplace. And I think that this is a company that um, has a good shot at being a lot bigger than it is today uh, over the course of the next decade. Yeah, I definitely agree with that last one. That was great. It's good to good to see some uh, some names that I haven't seen or heard before. Uh, when I did see that question answered on Twitter, it was a bit mundane. It was the same few stocks: Amazon, Apple, Google, Teladoc. Which great, you know. I'm sure I'm sure they'll do great in the next ten years, and there's plenty of running room. But yeah, I I like to see I like to see some uh, some some more underground and high growth potential stocks in there. So well that's what we love Excellent. to do, right, Joe? I mean that's the whole idea about the service, right? Is that it provides a funnel that takes these 1800 stocks and kind of narrows it down to the ones that are most actionable to research. So, you know, um I, I, we try to do that and I, I'm hopefully in, in the smatterings every week, um people are finding some ideas maybe that they hadn't considered. Right. Of course.
So I think that is a good place to wrap up. Um, it was it was great uh, getting into the weeds about game stock game stonks. I'm almost saying it that way now. Um, and who knows what'll happen in the next week or so? But yeah, hopefully we won't have to dedicate an entire episode to it again next week. I might, I might get sick of that pretty quickly. So I think we'll I think we'll leave it there. Uh, have a have a great rest of your week, everybody, and we'll see you next week.